0: Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jeannie Stevens, and the passage that we just heard is the passage that we're gonna look at today. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday and it's a significant day in the life of Jesus. We're gonna actually look at what happened on this day 2,000 years ago and, and why that day was significant then and what that day actually means to us today and I have a question that I want us to wrestle with. I have a question that I want us To ponder. And it's not like one of those questions that when you're meeting somebody and you make small talk and you kind of say like, you know, where do you live or what do you do? That's a question to just like gain some facts. The question that we're going to wrestle with today is actually one of those revealing questions. It reveals a little bit about like who you are and the kind of person that you are. It would be like if you and I were, were meeting and I asked you, you know, like, are you a Sox fan or a Cubs fan? It would reveal something about you, right? Right, absolutely. And then I would have some thoughts about you afterwards, right? Or if I asked you, you know, do you like deep dish pizza or thin crust pizza? It reveals something about who you are. Now, I'm not going to give you the answers to either of those questions for myself because half the room would leave, right? But the question that we're going to wrestle with today is a question that reveals what's really going on inside of you. And Jesus was a fan of questions. He was a fan of asking questions. Instead of giving answers, Jesus actually liked to ask questions questions. In fact, there's a moment in the New Testament where Jesus is out on a boat with his disciples and a storm comes in and and everybody gets scared and everyone freaks out and they come running to the the front of the ship where Jesus is and they say, Jesus, oh my gosh, a storm is coming in. And instead of Jesus giving them an answer, instead of saying like, don't worry about it, it's going to be okay, Jesus says, why are you afraid? Instead of giving an answer to them, he gives them a question. Jesus wanted to know what was going on beneath their fear. There's another moment in the New Testament where Jesus has um, a couple of men approach him and both of the men are blind and, and they know Jesus to be a healer and so they ask for Jesus to heal him and instead of Jesus just right away giving them an answer and saying, I will heal you, instead he says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Jesus wanted to see if they really believed in the fact that he was the healer. Jesus loved asking questions. He loved asking questions instead of giving answers. I find it very interesting that religious people like to give answers instead of asking questions. But Jesus, he was a fan of questions. And it's one of the things that I most love about Jesus. He believes in our capacity to actually look inside of ourselves to see what's really going on. And that's what questions do. They have the potential to really communicate what's happening in our heart, what's happening in our mind, what's happening in our soul, what's happening in our body. And the question that I want us to ponder today is who is your king? Now, I'm sure you're not surprised about that because it's on the screen behind me, okay? (laughs) Who is... Your king. Who is your king? Who really, if this is the throne of your life, who is the king that sits here? Who is the one that sits on the throne of your heart? We don't think about things like this. We don't think about kings. We don't live in a nation that has kings. You know, We don't think about kingdoms all that often, although this was a, an interesting moment in our family this last week. Uh, around the dinner table each night, we have this tradition. We ask one another about the highs and the lows of the day. And so everybody goes around, and you know, we talk about what was our high of the day, what was the low of the day. And so we were going around the table, and as we got to my son Elijah, he's in fourth grade, he's 10 years old, he said this this was a great day, I only have highs. And we were like, awesome, what happened? He's like, well, what happened is that I am the king of fourth grade. We were like, oh wow, that's a really great day. What happened? He's like, well, you know how I'm the banker of my classroom? Well, we got all of the bankers of the fourth grade. They have this little store in the fourth grade and Elijah's the banker over the store. We got all of the fourth graders together and I'm now the banker over the bankers. So I'm like the king banker. We were like, wow, buddy, that's awesome. I mean, what does it feel like to be the king of fourth grade? And he's like, well, it's not just that. Something else happened that made the day even better. He's like, when I was in the lunchroom today, uh, you know, mom, you gave me that that cold pizza for lunch and I I wasn't really interested in it. And so I, I traded it with another kid in the lunchroom. And I was like, oh, what did you trade it for? He's like, well, I traded it for him to do any dare that I tell him to do until he's in seventh grade. I was like, so let me get this straight. You, got, you gave a cold piece of pizza to dare this kid until he's in seventh grade and he has to do it? He's like, yeah, he does. I was like, Oh my gosh, Jared! We have got to talk to the leaders of Soul City Kids because clearly they are not getting this from us. Like <laughs> it, it, there is a serious problem in our church here. And so Elijah, Elijah was, you know, letting us know that he is really into kings and kingdoms, specifically the fourth-grade kingdom. Um, but we don't use this terminology that much, do we? We don't think about kings or kingdom, yet the passage that we just heard and and the passage that we're going to actually dive into in the scriptures today is all about who Jesus is as our king. So I actually want you to grab your Bible. It's in the seat back in front of you, or it's probably on the floor if you're up near the front. And I want you to turn to the the New Testament. It's the second half of the Bible. And uh, this story that we're looking at is actually recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first um, four books of the New Testament, the four Gospels. But we're going to just look at it in two of the Gospels, and we're going to turn to the book of John. It's found on page 750. And we're going to go to John 12. And this day that we're looking at today is actually referred to, maybe you've heard of it, um, as Palm Sunday. Um, this day is referred to as a lot of different things. It has a lot of different titles. Some refer to it as Palm Sunday. Some call it the triumphal entry. Others refer to it as the start of the Passion Week, which leads up to the crucifixion on Friday and then the resurrection that we celebrate next Sunday at Easter. But on this actual day in Jewish history, it was referred to as Lamb Selection Day. It was lamb selection day. And this day was a significant day because this was the day that families chose the lamb that they would sacrifice during the Passover celebration. And this had been going on since the days of Moses. And so this was a day of great expectation with the Jewish people. Perhaps you may even recall... Earlier in the Gospels, Jesus' cousin John at one point referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, has now been selected and he was entering into Jerusalem but the crowds, they didn't necessarily want a lamb in Jesus, they wanted a king. They wanted a king and this is what it says in John 12:12 12, 12. it says the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem so they took palm branches and they went out to meet him and they started shouting and they started cheering hosanna hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the king of Israel Now, there's a ton of significance in the fact that they took palm branches and they started to wave them. You see, the palm branch was actually Israel's national symbol of freedom. In fact, it was the palm branch that was actually stamped on Jewish coins the very last period that they were actually a free nation. So people grabbed these palm branches to declare their king was coming. Their king was coming, and he was going to set them free. See, what they wanted was they wanted a king that was going to liberate. They wanted a king that was going to overthrow everything that had been broken in their nation. A king that would turn things around, that would turn over the government, that would finally bring the peace that they longed for. But look at how Jesus, the king, enters into Jerusalem. It says in John 12, verse 14, that Jesus found a what? A young donkey. And he sat on it. And it says, as it was written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming. He is seated on a donkey's colt. And I don't know about you, but like when I think about someone important, someone that might be a king, and they're entering into a city, I think that there's a whole lot of fanfare that should take place, right? That there should be trumpets, and there should be banners, and there should be dancers, and there should be secret servicemen, right? That that there's a whole bunch going on there, right? But what we see is Jesus coming in on a donkey, There's no powerful war horse that he's riding in. There's no army that's behind him like a typical king. What what Jesus does is he comes in on a simple donkey. A slow, low, humble donkey. And rather than fulfilling their expectations of the kind of king that they wanted, he fulfills a prophecy actually. When it says, as it is written, that means that Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy back in the book of Zechariah that a king, the true king, would finally come. And when he entered Jerusalem, he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. So here's Jesus fulfilling this prophecy, this hundreds and hundreds of year old prophecy prophecy. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the, dep- the prophecy is declaring that the king, this true king, will be different than any other king. That his rule and his reign will not be about a battle. It won't be about overthrowing some kind of government. This king will not be about exerting power. This king will be about extending peace. And you see, the people, all they knew of a king was a, is that a king was powerful, that he exerted power. But Jesus was a different kind of king. And he handled power differently. And the triumphal entry into Jerusalem in many ways is both an explanation of who Jesus is as a king and it's an invitation to enter into God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is explaining here. In fact, I want you to turn over now to the book of Luke because I want you to see how the people responded to his entrance. Turn to page 733. We're going to look at Luke 19. Because while Jesus comes in on this donkey and he comes in different than anyone expected and they're waving these palm branches, there were actually some religious leaders in the crowd. There were some Pharisees, and it says that some of the Pharisees in the crowd, Luke 19, 39, it says that they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I mean, look at all these people. Look at what they're doing. They're throwing a party for you. I mean, look at you, Jesus. You're on a donkey, and they're waving palm branches at you. I mean, what kind of ridiculous party is this? And you just leave it to the religious people, right? It's the religious people that ruin every kind of party, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, they are always the party poopers of every party. And that's exactly what happens here. And these religious leaders, they're like, Jesus, you just got to shush all these people. And, And if religion could make a sound... I think that's the sound that it would make, shh, 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 to all of your parties, shh, to all of your worship, shh, to your hand raising, what, do y'all have questions? And this is what religion does, it shushes. It shushes and and I love what Jesus does because he's like, I'm gonna stick it to all of you and he shushes, they're shushing, right? And he says, I tell you, I tell you, if they kept quiet, even the stones would cry out. It's fine, go ahead, shush them because you can't shush the earth. You can't shush the stones, you can't shush the mountains, you can't shush the oceans because my father, he made all of that. So great is the power of God found in Jesus that he humbly knows that he will be worshipped one way or another. If not by the people, then all of creation will choose to worship him. You see, Jesus is not the kind of king that needs to force people into submission, Jesus is not the kind of king that has to shush people into following him. Jesus knows that the glory of God can never be shushed. And that's what I love about this passage. Because it then goes on and it says that as he approached Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. I mean, can you you just picture what's happening on the side of this road in Jerusalem? I mean, this is not what I think about when I think about a leader. When I think about a king, when I think about somebody at the very highest position, we don't think about a leader that loves so extravagantly and so sacrificially that they would literally weep for the people. And I love how Luke actually wrote this sentence because he wrote it very specifically. He didn't say that Jesus shed a nice tear. He didn't say that Jesus looked out at the city and he got a little misty. It says he wept. This king wept for us. He wept for his people. This is who Jesus is. That is the kind of king that the people received that day 2,000 years ago. And this is the same kind of king that we receive today. Can you imagine if Jesus came riding into Chicago on the Kennedy on a donkey? And he looked out at our city. I believe he would weep. I believe he would weep over the violence. I believe he would weep over the injustice. I believe he would weep over the segregation. What a remarkable moment in the life of Jesus. What a remarkable leader we see here. I mean, can you imagine any leader running for office that would actually weep for their people? And Jesus, he wasn't new to leadership. He knew that with leadership comes influence and with influence comes power. Every leader knows that. But what is amazing about the leadership and the influence of Jesus is that Jesus never loved power. Jesus never loved power. His power is that he loved. Jesus never loved power. He never loved power. His power is that he loves. He never ruled with power. He never forced or pushed or hustled or proved or directed his power. His power was and is extended in love. That's how Jesus leads. I mean, what kind of king is willing to ride into a city on a donkey? What kind of king is willing to not just forgive us of our sins, but literally wipe the slate clean? What kind of king is willing to listen to us, to be with us, to show compassion and empathy to us? Jesus is not some kind of like political promise maker with a whole list of things that he's willing to do if in fact we elect him to the position of king. The kingdom of God that Jesus invites us into is a totally upside-down kingdom, and it starts with Jesus himself. It's a kingdom where the last are first. It's a kingdom where the weak are strong. It's a kingdom where the poor are rich. It's a kingdom where the king chooses to be a servant. And it's a kingdom where the king shared his life gave up his life for the people. Every other kingdom up until that point asked for the people to give up their life for the king. But this king gave up his life for the people. And what's amazing about Jesus is Jesus was willing to share his life He was willing to give up his life. But Jesus is unwilling to share the throne. He is willing to share his life. He is willing to lay down his life. In fact, he did for you and for me. But Jesus knows that there is only one true king that is worthy of sitting on the throne. So while he is willing to share his life, he is unwilling to share the throne. And it is not because he is some selfish God. It is because he knows that he and his Father in the Spirit are the only ones worthy to sit on the throne of our lives. And so I wonder today, who is your king? Who is your king? Like, if this is your life and this is the throne of your heart, who sits here? Who's really sitting here? Who's really calling the shots? Is it Jesus? Or is it you? And since I have the microphone, I'll tell you a little bit about my life. In my life, I love Jesus with my whole heart. I love him with my whole being. I love living in the kingdom of God. But I have a way of kind of scooching him off the stool and just getting myself really comfy and cozy on this throne. And what's amazing is when life is about my kingdom, I'm ruled by worry. You see, when I sit here, I'm ruled by worry. What needs to get done, what's still on the list, what needs to get checked off. But when I live in God's kingdom and when I let him sit on the throne, do you know what I'm ruled by? Peace. Peace is what rules my life. And when I'm back to it being my kingdom and Jeannie's way of doing things, do you know what I'm ruled by? I'm ruled by scarcity. There's just not enough. There's not enough time. There's not enough energy. There's not enough money. Or if it's not that there's not enough, I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not attractive enough. There's all of these things that, that rule. And when I'm sitting here, scarcity rules. But when I let Jesus sit back on the throne, abundance is what rules. That there's more than enough. Because he is enough. When I'm living in my kingdom, control is what rules. I'm ruled by control. And I just kind of firmly seat myself up here on the throne. And and I kind of call the shots. I kind of make the plays. I call out what we're supposed to do next. And I just kind of firmly cement myself onto the seat of control. Now I meet with a lot of people and and counsel them and they tell me that they have this issue of control and so I'm only able to talk about this because of that. I don't know anything about it personally. Um, But when I am living in my kingdom, control is what rules me. But when I let Jesus sit here on the throne, freedom rules and i live in the flow of freedom with Jesus. When I'm on the throne, I'm ruled by fear. But when Jesus is on the throne, love is what rules. When I'm on the throne, I'm ruled by self-protection. But when Jesus is on the throne, trust rules. When I am on the throne, I am ruled by selfishness. And you know, selfishness is a wonderful kingdom. In fact, it's a great place to be. That is until anyone else comes into your kingdom. And when I'm sitting on the throne, it's all about me. What do I want? How do I want life to go? But when Jesus sits on the throne, it's humility that rules you see, we have such a propensity to let it be about my kingdom instead of God's kingdom. And I wonder if we were to recreate that road in Jerusalem, if we were to be the ones waving the palm branches when Jesus entered into the city, and if we were the ones saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would we be firmly planted in God's kingdom? Or would we be waving those palm branches in our own kingdom? Because, you know, the people that waved those palm branches just a few days later, they shouted, crucify him. And it was all about their kingdom. And as I said, I, I love Jesus with my whole heart. I love living in the kingdom of God. But I have learned how to sit on this throne really well. And I have this habit of just kind of squeezing my way onto the throne and just kindly asking Jesus to stand off to the side. And I call upon him when I really need him. In fact, just this past Friday, um, two days ago, I found myself sitting here on the throne. And Jarrett and I usually every Sunday night we'll sit down and kind of go through our calendar and talk through what we have going on and what's happening in our week and who needs to be where and what and I kind of knew that we both had made some plans on Friday but we hadn't worked through all of the specifics and we didn't clear it all up and so Jarrett had plans to go in one direction and I had plans to go in another direction and they were in conflict with one another because there was only one vehicle to get there and so he needed to take the vehicle and I was mad about it. I was frustrated and we had one of those conversations that um, is like really lively and there's lots of intense language. Um, I don't know if you've ever had one of those. Um, So we had one of those and it was really lively and it was really intense. Um, And I was frustrated and I was angry. And he ended up having to leave and go, and um, he came back home after this event and um, came right up to me. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention that after he left, I had one of those moments where I felt like I just didn't say enough of the things that I wanted to say. Um, So I chose to text them. Um, Again, um, lively and intense. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting for them to get the bold feature on text. Um, so I, I just use all caps right now. Um, but so there was a lot of all caps in my text and, um, and Jared came home and, and walked right in and came up to me and he's like, babe, I'm so sorry. That was such a miss. I don't, I don't know how, how we missed one another and how we missed in our communication. And I'm just really sorry. And I I had one of those moments where I was like, okay, I'm sorry too. Um, Will you forgive me? I I call those moments um, toddler moments. And that's what was happening inside of me. I kind of, um, you know, knew the right thing to do say I'm sorry and I got up early the next morning and came downstairs and brewed some coffee and I <sighs> opened up my Bible and I started playing some worship music and in the house was really quiet and I opened up my laptop and I was gonna kind of put the finishing touches on this message and I had one of those nudges from Jesus that I regularly do And it was kind of a nudge that, you know, it wasn't audible, but I kind of sensed him saying, like, so, you're going to give a message about living in God's kingdom while you're firmly planted in yours. I hope that goes well for you. (laughs) And it was just the loving kindness of the Holy Spirit that just washed over me. And the loving kindness of the spirit that said, Jeannie, you were so wanting to be right. You were so wanting to be right. You were so wanting for things to go your way. And I, I started to, to cry and just asked God for forgiveness and the second Jarrett walked downstairs, I just said, babe, I, I am so sorry. I need a do-over, like a a big do-over. Will you forgive me? Mm. And I got off of my throne and welcomed Jesus there. And what's amazing to me about the kingdom of God is that Jesus is willing to be our king every single time we are willing to surrender the throne back to the one who's worthy of sitting on it. Every single time, every single time. And you have some palm branches in your seat back and I actually wanna ask you to grab them right now. And I kinda picture, you know, if we were to recreate that scene 2,000 years later And we were the ones welcoming King Jesus. Would you be holding up a palm branch firmly planted in God's kingdom? Or would you be holding up a palm branch seated in your kingdom, on your throne? And I wonder today if you'd be willing to lay down the throne for the one who's worthy of sitting on it and so there's a sharpie in your seat back and I want to give you just a moment to write whatever it is that God might be calling you to lay down for me the word that I am writing on my palm branch today is control maybe for you it's fear maybe for others it's scarcity maybe for others It has to do with selfishness. For some, it might have to be a relationship. But I just want to give you a moment to lay down what it is that you're holding to in your kingdom so that you can invite God to sit on the throne in his kingdom. So just take a moment to write whatever word comes to your mind. Into a time of worship now, so I want to invite you to stand. And as we worship Jesus, I wonder if we might worship Him as residents of His kingdom as one's firmly planted in him being on the throne. And so I ask you today, who is your king? Who is your king? Like who is your king really today? Because our king is both strong and secure. Our king is steadfast and sovereign our king is merciful and mighty. He is powerful and he is filled with peace. Our king is holy and he always offers hope. He is faithful and he forgives. Our king is the very definition of love. Our king is a king whose grace never runs out. Our king is both great and our king is good, and that is who Jesus is. And I want to ask you today, is he your king? Is he your king? And as we worship him now, may we declare that with conviction, with determination, and with hope of who King Jesus is. And so, Jesus, we thank you we thank you that you are the one true king. You are the only one worthy to sit on the throne. And would you forgive us every time that we put ourselves back on it? And today we worship you as the one that laid down his life. We worship you as the one that was willing to come riding in on a donkey. And we exalt you and we lift you up because you are worthy. And we name you as our king today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.